Welcome to the Type Pod. I'm Anita Nottingham, former book designer, former typography teacher, former co-chair of a graphic design school. I'm now a learning experience designer, but I'm a type nerd and I always will be. I'm Jason Phillips, formerly a book designer and typography teacher. I'm a sometime illustrator and artist. In my career, I've never strayed far from type, and it'll always have a place in my heart. We're whipped into shape by our producer Inga Mewburn, professor at the Australian National University and editor of the Thesis Whisperer blog. We're designers and friends who went to the same design school. Anitra failed her typography assignments, but I didn't. (sighs) Again with the typography assignments. (laughs) We met when we worked together at Oxford University Press, where we honed our type skills, became friends and developed a mutual hatred of the typeface Gaudi, all of which still burns brightly 25 years later. Each episode, we dive into one typeface, finding out the sometimes surprising history behind the design and the designer, we admire or not its anatomy, ponder its uses and cultural impact, and then we ignore all of that and we talk about our feelings. In this episode, we have a very special guest along to also talk about his feelings. Hi, David. Hi, Nitra. I'm David Spears. I'm a designer in Washington, D.C., a typography teacher, and recently learned just enough type design to be dangerous. Welcome, David. It's good to have you on board. Thanks for Excited coming to along. Be here. And thanks for sitting in your closet to record this for us. We really appreciate your <laughs> At attention least it's to quality. In here. <laughs> this episode, we're going to talk about Bodoni. A transcript is available set in Bodoni, which you can download from the show notes. Let's get started. Before we launch into a bit of history, I just want to address the fact that when we were divvying up the typefaces for this season, and I did kind of volunteer for you this You did one, volunteer. I did so without considering the Italian and the French names that I'd likely have to butcher during our discussion. So can I just say, well played, Anitra. This is my pre-revenge for having to butcher all the German in episode one. Yeah, but I also tried to help you out there, and you've just confidently assured me that I'm on my own here. Yes, it says that in the script, you're on your own. David, do you have any sort of expertise in French or Italian that we can draw on I have none, sorry, I cannot help you out. (laughs) Okay, cool, cool. Well, we'll we'll just have to apologise in advance for my uh, lack of language skill here and just plow ahead so you're on your own jason go I'm on my own okay well so far in the podcast we've featured british and german type designers but in this episode we're heading off to the mediterranean so pack the sunscreen and a bottle of prosecco i'm ready ciao bella <laughs> okay ciao, bella. so <laughs> giovanni battista or giam battista to use the less formal version of his name Bodoni was born in 1740 in the town of Soluzzo, which is the uh, southern border of France. He was the son of a printer, and of course this is a time when you were really encouraged to follow in your father's footsteps. It's also a time when you went where the patronage was. So in 1758, he upstakes and moved to Rome, where he worked for the very impressive-sounding Sacra Congregatio de Propaganda Fidei, which is basically the missionary arm of the Vatican. Apparently, Bodoni had a gift for languages, and after studying Hebrew and Arabic, he specialised in compositing foreign language texts. Back then, and some might argue nothing much has changed, the Catholic Church operated as much as a multinational corporation as a religious institution, (laughs) 
And it was the connections that Bodoni made in Rome that helped him land his next gig. In 1768, he was appointed director of the press of the Duke of Parma. Now, bear in mind, he's only 28 at this point. Admittedly, I came to design a little bit later than you, Anitra. I don't know about you, David, but at 28 years old, I can't imagine being appointed director of anything. I mean, I was too busy being barked at and told to make type designs bigger, bolder, and, oh, can we try that bit of centred instead? Well, I imagine it was probably a little more accommodating to the Duke than we were to our previous publishers and marketing managers. Like, <laughs> uh, I doubt he would have eyeballed the Duke as he approached the desk and said, don't even ask to make me put that type in a starburst. <laughs> hey, we all have our own strategies for maintaining our professional dignity, 100%, right? 100%, yeah. <laughs> Back to Bodoni. You're also probably thinking, hey, Parma, isn't that some provincial backwater where they spent their time perfecting crumb chicken dishes? In fact, the Dukes of Parma were descended illegitimately from one of the popes, and when the male line ran out, the female heiress scooped the pool and married the king of Spain. Europe was full of odd bits of territory that were being swapped around through complicated inheritance agreements and treaties, and Parma went on to be ruled by the Austrians under the Habsburgs, and even the widow of the Emperor Napoleon, which... I know that kind of makes the duchy sound like a tatty gift that nobody much wanted, but actually an official court appointment was a pretty big deal at the time. In fact, Bodoni made such a name for himself that he was headhunted by other famous patrons, so the Duke offered him a private press where Bodoni could work wherever he liked in addition to his court post. Wait, wait, so this is some sort of work-from-home arrangement that he had going? Uh, Yeah, kind of. It was basically like, please don't leave me, I really like your work, and I'll do anything, including bribing you with kind of, you can do your own shit on the side. (laughs) So, you know, Bodoni became something of a celebrity and even a tourist attraction, and Benjamin Franklin was a fan, as was Pope Pius VII. And unfortunately, Bodoni was sick when Napoleon and Josephine, incidentally, she wasn't the wife that ended up as the Duchess of Parma, but Napoleon and Josephine paid a special house call on visiting the city. And so can we just pause for a moment to consider the prestige of someone who can turn away the most powerful man in Europe at the time? As my children would say, that's a Chad move. Yeah. And it's not like... (laughs) Apparently, Bodoni suffered from gout, which I haven't suffered from myself, but I understand it's pretty painful and debilitating. But it's not like it was contagious or anything. So it's, he just you know, you kind of wonder, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm just was hashtag in the mood, mood. Guys. I'm not feeling it. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. See you Come Napoleon. back another time. Yeah. Please don't stab me. Anyway, Bodoni continued living and working in Parma and presumably turning away visitors from his workshop and building up his fan base. In the last couple of years before his death in 1813, his patron was the King of Naples, who also happened to be Napoleon's brother-in-law. Bodoni was survived by his widow, and it was she who posthumously published his catalogue and masterpiece Manuale Tipografico in 1818. And such is the continuing prestige of Bodoni that in 1963 the city of Parma opened up a museum in his honour, which is a tourist attraction still operating today. Look, can I just say... I had a robust discussion with my husband about one whether one should go back to Italy first when the world reopens <laughs> or whether one should go somewhere else for a bloody change. And look, if you hadn't told me that, like, there was this whole museum, you know, the conversation might have gone a bit differently. It, it just, you know, that, yep. that sounds like a fun place to go. I would go there. 
Anyway. Yeah, I would go there too. Yeah. I only found out about it recently and I'm like, okay, next stop, Palm. Yeah, next yeah. Stop. Yeah, not just for the chicken. Badoni Museum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know it, it, does it sound existed. Like an- <laughs> yeah, that's right. So there we go. It's an undiscovered gem for us. But, you know, it's obviously been doing a roaring trade. Well, now we've given it a plug. I'm sure it'll be yeah, inundated. <laughs> well, look, honestly, it sounds like, and I'm going to murder his name, Giambastista. Oh, Just call him Giovanni. Giovanni. Sounds like he had a full plate with his other commissions, though. So why does he decide to design a typeface on top of everything else, Jason? Well, we talked before on this podcast about how back in the day typefaces were created by an individual type foundry or printer. It was a way of making a name for themselves, advertising their skills and differentiating themselves from their competitors. The Bodoni typeface first appeared around 1790 and immediately it represented a high degree of printing precision and technology because of its dominant feature, which is the extreme contrast between the thick and thin line weights. We're talking hairline widths at a time when metal type was cast by hand. It also took advantage of improvements in paper manufacturing because let's face it, rough surfaces are not kind to fine lines. Yeah, and it's important to remember that the process of type design is pretty invisible to consumers. It's like all of a sudden a new typeface is ready to use, but that's not the case. It's a pretty experimental process of playing with form and often comes from asking, what if? And that what if could stem from technological constraints or technological advancements. In this case, we see how technological advancements encourages experimentation. Absolutely, I 100% agree. For the look of his typeface, Bodoni was influenced by the work of French type designers Francois Ambois and Fermin Didot, both of whom were contemporaries of Bodoni, and also Pierre-Simon Funier, who lived earlier in the 18th century and was in turn influenced by John Baskerville. In fact, after leaving his Rome job and before starting up in Parma, Bodoni had planned a trip to the UK in honour of that inspiration, sort of a contiki tour in reverse, I guess. <laughs> But it fell through because he got sick, maybe with gout. Anyway, as well as his new typeface, Bodoni developed a sparser, cleaner page layout with less overt decoration and more white space, which brought the typeface even more into focus. So, but what was he trying to achieve with this sort of stuff? Like, what's the point? Is it just to show off? Ah, a nature, how dare you. <laughs> well, you know, look, it's a consideration. <laughs> Well, I'll just backtrack for a minute and mention the Roman du Roy, or the King's Roman. This was an attempt in late 17th century France to formulate a new, more mathematical typeface for official use by the Royal Print Office. It was commissioned by Louis XIII at the insistence of his chief minister, Cardinal Richelieu, who's famous for being the shadowy antagonist in the Three Musketeers stories. Sorry, he... Oh, yeah, he was real. (laughs) yeah yeah, it's real yeah it's not it's not (laughs) it's not just charlton heston in a really weird looking van dyke beard um he was a real guy he was an actual guy anyway so the the king's roman involved mapping out letter forms on standardized grids rather than relying on the more organic evolution over time that had modified other previous typeface styles the result was rounder letter forms became more perpendicular Serifs became sharper and showed less bracketing, and bracketing is the tapering of the wedge that connects the serif to the main stroke. This project took 10 years, and in the end, like a lot of government (laughs) initiatives, it didn't have the uptake that they'd hoped, but the concept itself remained quite influential. 
So I can't help thinking that Bodoni was trying to reflect the spirit of his time. The 18th century was when the Age of Enlightenment, also known as the Age of Reason, really hits its stride. And as you can tell from the name, this is a philosophical movement that saw itself as progressive and rational and wanted to distinguish itself from anything that had gone on before. It covered a broad range of subjects from politics and law through to economics and sociology, and it emphasised the scientific method whilst questioning religious orthodoxy. Of course, this is all before the advent of mass media, so I'm not suggesting your average person had much exposure to the congratulatory, oh, I see, well-spotted, sir, correspondence that was crisscrossing Europe and America at the time. But remember also that Bodoni moved in some pretty elevated circles, and these sorts of ideas were turning up in the new coffee houses and salons, as well as printed pamphlets and journals. I think it's really important to remember that typefaces aren't made in a vacuum. Just how art is influenced by and reflects movements and thoughts and times, so does type design. So this is a great example of that. We see rational thought and mathematics being applied to type form in a new way. The natural slant str- or stress of O's, for example, that come from handwriting and calligraphy is now replaced with a more vertical one and that's more symmetrical. Absolutely. Just to put some context for for the release of the Bodoni font. Don't let all this talk of, you know, liberty and fraternity fool you. Bodoni's life was bracketed by two momentous European conflicts. The War of the Austrian Succession in the 1740s, which is when he's born, and the Napoleonic Wars in the early 1800s, which is when he died. The first started because basically no one wanted a girl running the Habsburg Empire. Sorry, Anitra. And the second started because in the political ruin after the French Revolution, a sufferer of short man syndrome from Corsica saw an opportunity to emulate Alexander the Great. I'm kind of paraphrasing there, but still. Plenty of death and mayhem for everyone to enjoy. It's quite a mission statement, yeah. Specifically around the time of this typeface release, George Washington gave the first State of the Union address in New York, and a few months later signed into existence the District of Columbia, which is the future site of the capital of the United States. Woohoo! And in keeping with a United States theme, following a revolution in 1798, the United States of Belgium was formed. And more locally for us, and I mean Anitra and I, sorry, not so much you, David, but I, I, mentioned, I mentioned the founding of the District <laughs> yeah, of Columbia. Yeah, we did. You, you so, got a shout out so, there, David, where you well, are. Yeah. yeah. You know, David, let's face it, Australia doesn't really make much of an impact on world events, so we, we grasp any straw that comes our way. But, okay, more locally around this time, Fletcher Christian and the other mutineers from the Bounty landed on Pitcairn Island. Oh, right. Gosh. I never think of those things all happening around the same time. No, you don't. I didn't either, but there you go. Wow. So, David, like, where you're living is, like, <laughs> at the same time as, yeah, at the same time as that typeface is released. Yeah, like, we're four. It makes yeah. it feel, like, much older, doesn't it? Than... <laughs> I won't think about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to forge a personal connection here between you and Bodoni the typeface. <laughs> Maybe, maybe it's time then that we move from history to anatomy. Yeah. What are the key elements that distinguish Bodoni as a typeface? Jason, you first. Okay. So Bodoni comes under the typeface classification. Now, I, I'm just going to digress here. I always assumed that these were called dididones. I don't know whether you guys used to call Me them that. Me too. Or, okay. Well, Is I'm it didones? Well, I'm going to refer to them as didones because... I think technically that might be incorrect, but it's one of those terms that then 
you pronounce it a particular way for so long that when somebody comes along and says that's not how you pronounce it. I've always said the don't. I don't know if that's right. Okay. Ah. Right. I don't know if well, that's right. I thought I don't know if that's right either, honestly. We, we probably should have had this conversation before we started recording. This <laughs> just, like, all agree on just so that we're kind of all on a on a general pronunciation. But anyway, okay, you say didone, I say didon, we say tomato, potato, whatever. Remember that when we talk about type classification, this is something that's used to categorize typefaces because we're trying to it's easier when you talk about something to have a classification system, like you have trees or uh, plants. David, why don't you tell everyone, you're a current typography teacher. Yeah. Okay. So you tell everyone so, the Vox classification system. So what do I start? I should just... Imagine that you have to explain yeah. it to a first year student. You don't want to go into too much detail because they missed the last class where you explained it. So you have to quickly okay. tell them what the classification system is and is for. Challenge accepted. Go okay. ahead. so we use type classifications as a way to talk about and classify type design because usually there's a commonality so we like to group things together so we can understand and compare them to other other typefaces yeah that compare is really important because that's what's making it different thank you thank thank you david you said it much better yeah what an excellent type teacher you are i have ever said so well done i i I can see your students are in good hands much better hands probably than they were under me but anyway okay the important thing here is that the category name of didomes is an amalgam of the surnames of Fernandido, who I mentioned earlier, and our friend Giambattista Badoni, which for those of you, uh, those of you who are Brangelina, Benefit and Kimye fans goes to show that celebrity portmanteaus have been around a lot longer than you might think. Oh my God, I did not know that. That's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) So this class of typefaces is also sometimes referred to as modern as opposed to old style or Renaissance derived letter forms, which I think really emphasizes that self-consciously forward looking and progressive aesthetic that they try to encapsulate. I've also heard them called neoclassical typefaces, emphasizing the move away from classical approach. Absolutely. It's a serif typeface with narrow serifs that are nearly a constant width when horizontal, and some strokes end in a ball terminal instead of the wedge, which we associate with other serif typefaces. And you can see that ball terminal on the lowercase f and the j, for example. But the most distinct feature, you could probably call it the signature look, is the strong contrast between the weights of the thick, predominantly vertical strokes, and the very fine, mainly horizontal strokes. If you've ever picked up a copy of Elle or Harper's Bazaar, you'll recognize it instantly as a typeface synonymous with the world of fashion. Similarly, it's been used by Elizabeth Arden, Giorgio Armani, and it's in the unmistakable lowercase c and uppercase k combo of Calvin Klein. Now I'm I'm having anxiety about saying diodones. Diodones. Did I say that right? Diodones. Yeah. Diodonas. Diodoni. (laughs) (laughs) Can be a nightmare. Look, I was flicking through Garfield's Just My Type and I'd read his take on spotting typefaces, which kind of made me laugh, where he says, identifying a particular font can be the most infuriating task and designers can spoil their whole day by walking past a shop window and seeing something they can't name. It's far worse than trying to identify a song from a snippet of lyrical melody. And it is, can it I just is. say? It's those, those pesky letter forms that you can't quite identify. It is the 
design equivalent of an earworm. It really yeah. is. It's just like, what Thank is God it? for my font, though. I use it all the time. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> You just, could be like a genius. You could just be like quickly. Exactly. Yes, that's right. Honestly, uh-huh. I feel like when you tell you tell people that you're, uh, you know, you've got any sort of any kind of background in in typography, it instantly becomes in people's minds some sort of party trick. That here, <laughs> I'll shove this, that you know, this this word that's in a set in a particular typeface under your nose, and you should be some idiot savant who can instantly say, "Oh yeah, that's some really obscure typeface." That no, no but like I of. had a friend who could do that though, Kathy. Oh no, well, and I worked with the Penguin. She could do that. And we used to do that just when we got bored on a Friday afternoon or whatever. We'd just like go, "What's yeah. this typeface, Kathy?" Way all before my phone. All power to her, but I'm not that sort of savant. Can so someone, just, you know, I have to throw. Can my someone tell up. me what my font is, David? What's David, my font? You brought it up. It's a trade yeah. secret. Go <laughs> Let's tell see. everybody. So there, they sell different typefaces, but they also have this plugin where you can upload a photo of a typeface or whatever, and it'll identify the letters, the characters, and then you it tells you options for what typeface it is. It's sort of like that identify the weed in my garden app. Can you hold your phone over it? Yeah, it's like that. Exactly. Yep. Or is it or there's that thing isn't there that thing where you play a segment of a song that you can't Oh she's darling, you haven't yeah. been to enough yeah. you haven't been to enough yeah, nightclubs lately, Jason. You just gave yourself away. <laughs> yeah, Hello. it's a Shazam for fonts, yeah. I'm, I live in the most <laughs> locked down city in the world. It has so been. A, not a anymore, Jason. Not give anymore. A, All right, let's get yeah. back on track. Uh, so I, I was going to say, but for me, Bedoni, yeah. right, is like the Orgy Hepburn of typefaces. Like it's stylish, it's thin, and it can be a total nightmare to work with. And I admit, I think the italics really lovely, and I'm quite partial to the medium italic in particular. <laughs> I agree. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's lovely, right? Yeah. It looks like almost like it belongs to another typeface sometimes. Like Yes. I think it's easier on the eye than it has any reason to be. I'll just put it that way. So after writing this sentence in the script, I went on a bit of a rabbit hole to find out why that might be. And that led me into the fascinating world of typeface legibility studies, which is just such a fraught (laughs) area. Don't get me started. (laughs) So Dr. Louis-Emile Javal, I think... I got that right, conducted yep. some of the earliest scientific studies in the 1940s, right? And wow. Bodoni was one of the few typefaces that passed his blink test, right. which is exactly what it describes. Like the number of extra times you blink when reading a passage of text, that's apparently for him a measure of legibility. So right. something, something, eye strain, something, something, something. <laughs> and Garfield says that about Javal that he defined good type only in terms of legibility, and he did so with terrible severity. So Ooh. take that as you will. I love Garfield in just that type. Hilarious. I think it's a pretty simplistic way to think about the human brain. So Garfield says that in the 1970s, the RCA, they had this readability of print research unit. Wow. Inga, they need to have one at the ANU. Give me a call. Concluded I'm that funding was a lot easier to get hold of <laughs> yeah, in those right? days. <laughs> oh, it's important. Readability is important. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But a whole unit? <laughs> a whole unit. Yeah, seeing it's nodding, it can happen. Um, and he says that they, and I quote here, concluded that people found type with strong distinctive strokes and a greater distinction between letters leads to clearer and faster digestive information. So wow. this is probably why Bodoni's more readable than it appears to be. And I have to say... Any slab of body copy set in Bodoni can be a little bit off-putting to the reader, but once you get into it, maybe it's more readable than we give yeah. it credit well, for. Well, we'll see what feedback we get when we post the 
TypeScript for this episode in Vodoni. Oh, there should be a well, survey. <laughs> yeah, How readable color. is this? Yeah. That's right. Did you make it past the Yeah. Year? Count your blinks, people. Count your blinks. And I just want to say that there are some really terrible digital cuts out there. Oh, My yeah. students, mm-hmm. not David, used to cut corners <laughs> with free knockoffs. And they always look terrible. It's really unforgiving. If you use a bad version, it's much more noticeable. Yeah. Um, yep. And it's also yeah. another typeface that students murder regularly, which may be a bit jaded as a teacher. I was like, right. mm, don't go there. Yeah. Don't go there. <laughs> but what do you think, David? Of... Do you get the same reaction? Yeah, well, Bodoni has a lot of fine details and nuance balanced in there, but yeah. those free and awful versions just don't have the same attention to detail. So if you mm. zoom in really close, if you see any jagged lines or imperfect curves, you have to stay far, far away from that. I know it sounds a little obsessive when you think, no, oh, I've nobody can really that. tell, but <laughs> the eye is really, really good at picking up distractions and, and picking up imperfections yes. and being distracted. So if you just add up all those imperfections, you get a pretty awful design and a challenging read. Yeah, Excellent. yeah, 100%. Always zoom in on your typefaces, people. Say yeah. yeah. from David there, yeah. Okay, let's talk about our feelings oh. now. Overall impression, best worst feature, your opinions, Jason. Okay. Well, not everybody was, is a fan of Bodoni. A French printer once wrote that the modern typefaces were so precise and symmetrical that they should be reserved for printing railway reports, which (laughs) is a pretty harsh indictment, I feel. But... uh, (laughs) And Frederick Gowdy, about whom we'll have more to say in another episode, confessed that he could not develop, quote, any enthusiasm for Bodoni in particular because of its, quote, artificiality. I'm just going to say, is that a bit sexist? Just because it's in women's fashion magazine? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Anyway, the the high contrast does mean that the thin strokes tend to drop out against anything but the plainest background, leaving you with this sort of half letters that are still legible from a distance, but a bit odd looking. And apparently the technical term for the effect of those dominant thick strokes and receding thin strokes in body copying is dazzling, which... Actually, to me, sounds like the most admiring form of criticism. Like there's a negative deep down in there if you can be bothered digging through the compliment to get to it, which I guess is a form of dazzling in itself, really. Can I just interject (laughs) to say that that was probably from Dazzle Ships in the War. Do you, have you heard about Dazzle Ships? Oh. So they used to have ships where they'd paint sort of chevrons and triangles and stuff all over them to confuse, oh. Oh, you know, sighting okay. for, yeah, yeah. for bombs. So I can oh. imagine why what you're oh. describing because I just pulled up Dodoni the other day in Canva. I'm sorry. It's a horrible font in Canva. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's what, do you, do you that's what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. I can kind of see, like, the way that it affects your eyes. That's maybe what they mean by dazzling. Anyway, I'm going to step out. Too much producer time. (laughs) Inga, are you really picking up some some opinions about time? I might might actually be forming thoughts and views with it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the club. Some of our nerdiness is rubbing off in you. It It works. It works, people. We have the power. (laughs) Sorry, David, I interrupted you. Go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's fine. I was going to say that uh, placed in the right hands, though, a designer could really leverage the legibility but the odd-looking aspects of Bodoni. Mm. Sometimes you need to yeah. show to slow a rooter down and to shock them in order to catch their attention and draw them in. And Bodoni uh, has enough character to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can see that. But look, honestly, and I'm, 
like Bodoni and, and all Didones. Yep. They don't just always play well with others. Like, And I think that's why I like it, actually. I think it's really good on a, a white page or a field of colour. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. If you put it over an image, you have to make sure it's very, very minimal contrast. And I'm Absolutely. kind of convinced it's used in fashion magazines and websites because those articles are not designed to be actually read. Ooh. Okay. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> Ouch. I don't think it encourages reading. Right? <laughs> like I've said, you know, once you get into it, it's actually fine. Yeah. But I think one of its best features is it instantly says fashion and yes. high class. Although there's a mm-hmm. school thought if you ever say that something's high class, then it isn't. It's probably true. <laughs> true and yes. I think Donald Trump proved that. Um, <laughs> just going to say it. Um, but unlike display typefaces, it's not so obvious. So I yeah. used to say to students that Helvetica is like the vanilla sponge of typefaces. And I stole that from Inga, by the way, because it'll soak up any meaning you want, right? But it's only yeah. more like fish sauce. Like it's got a definite flavor, Ooh. which means you can use I it. I like to that hums. analogy. I really like that yeah. analogy. Yeah. Whoever's Me responsible too. for it. Inga. I think I stole that one off Inga as well. Um, <laughs> I steal a lot of my analogies off Inga, full disclosure. I title in Bodoni and say Helvetica, like the contrast of those two is more interesting because they're opposite vibes kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yep. Or I would suggest Futura as a as a pairing because of the they both have this emphasis on symmetry and geometry. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. Yeah, that sort of modern, modern kind of mm-hmm. thing going on. Yeah, but very, so, yeah, coming from very different angles. Yeah, yeah. Well, Garfield points out, interestingly, that in the Industrial Revolution that came after Bodoni was designed, it went the other way. Yeah. Like, typefaces, you know, those thick wooden, think those sort of wanted posters and things like yeah. that. <laughs> Victorian kind of advertising, the typefaces became, and he says, fat, heavy and ungainly, which, you know, post-COVID, no judgment, people, okay? <laughs> and they were, the, <laughs> they were fonts that soaked up ink and boasted of their gluttony and pride. And listen, I love you, Simon, but it's a bit fat phobic, honestly. So, you know, move on. I think, he, I think he, he got on a theme there. He did. He really he went with it. But he also says that, and I'm quoting here, industrial revolution had no time for delicacy. And so refined types of earlier centuries were discarded. But I don't know, maybe just everyone got sick of typefaces that looked like they're on a diet all the time. Like. <laughs> and maybe it says something about the modern age that it's still so heavily used and also yeah. used in those fashion magazines. It's kind Absolutely. of interesting yeah. thought. Yeah. yeah, it's a really a sign of the evolution of style and time. I mean, even though Bodoni departed from old style, today we associate with the rigidness, like with an old style. So type today right. is much more fluid and in line with the actually the industrial revolution approach of being bespoke and fluid and varied. Yep. Yeah. All right, gloves off time, people. Okay. This is a segment where we recommend whether you should or shouldn't have a relationship with this typeface. What are your feelings on this, Jason? Okay, well, you know, really, if you want to say anything about fashion, you have to spell it out in Bodoni, right? But -hmm. what I find fascinating is that the Age of Enlightenment was predominantly about men's ideas and men's opinions about the world, and yet... And that's changed... Oh, yes, sorry, sure, that's changed. Yeah, Yeah. it has a bit. But, I mean, at the time, it really was about... It was men saying, you know, what do you think about this fellow man, not women... But a typeface that grew out of that has become culturally anchored in feminine interests, however cliched a generalisation that might sound. 
Mm. I mean, it reminds me a bit of the way that pink rather than blue used to be considered the most suitable colour for boys. And now most people would be aghast at that suggestion. Like, you know, Barbie's boyfriend, Ken, already has a questionable sexual identity. (laughs) And can you imagine people's reaction if they decided to butch him up by dressing him in pink? Oh, yeah, someone's going to get told on Twitter what... What's really happening? Yeah. Anyway, as you said, Bodoni's been used to suggest class and elegance and sophistication. So I can only imagine that those grunge icons, Nirvana, adapted it for their band insignia with the deepest sense of irony. Oh, for sure. But I think lazy choices have devolved it further to represent the pretentious and the frivolous. I mean, I'm looking at you, Kardashians, and the Hollywood Reporter. Although the Hollywood Reporter uses the italic, which we've said is quite yeah, nice. Yeah, okay. Well, okay. For some. <laughs> Yeah, clawing back some brownie points. <laughs> but Or take the recent offering from Amazon Prime, Cinderella, which is a try-hard attempt to make over the heroine into a feminist couturier. If you check out the promo artwork, though, apparently nothing says, relax, guys, it's still all about the dress, like a Didone. <laughs> Look, it does just say class, which makes yep. it hard to use it for anything else, as you've pointed out, ironically, as Nevada did, and as my... Oldest child wandered out with his long hair and his Nirvana t-shirt yesterday morning. I was like, well played, Nirvana. Well played. And and like you say, class isn't what it used to be. I mean, Sniff, Mm. like speaking of irony, Teen Vogue has some great journalism. So (laughs) maybe I shouldn't say it's a choice to make you not want to actually read something. And look, I'll confess I really like Padoni. I've barely used it ever, though. I never got to do any of the fun chiclet titles when I worked at Penguin. Not that I'm bitter or anything. No, you can't. I don't know. I got the young adult title, so I don't want to think too hard about why that was. And I think it says more about my career choices than the typefaces itself. Like, there's not much call for Bodoni and Silicon Valley tech firms. Just saying. Yep. So, I just what about you, David, David? You don't have a you yeah. don't have a thing have on you, this one. What are your thoughts about you know using it? <clears throat> I I haven't used it that much. I mean, it's a it's a really hard type to justify because it's difficult to read a body copy. And it just yeah. has so much flavor in it. As soon as you see it, you associated fashion with it. So it's Absolutely. it's, it's yeah. a hard to use one. I mean, it would be a real challenge to kind of, you know, if you were setting an article headline about, you know, what it's like to be in the army or something like that. Bodoni is not the... <laughs> no, you, you have to like, Bodoni, you have to use Bodoni is contrast, not the right? font that you would run yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's but if you said play hard like, against, you if know. you put cheap yeah. and put it in Bodoni, that would be funny, right? Yeah, thrift store, right? <laughs> There's that irony again. Yeah, that's how I would use it. Yeah, yeah, visual puns, sort of. Yes, you go to absolutely. All right, so let me bring us back down to our final section now. This is where we get right down to it. Kiss, yep. date, kill, or marry. Oh, this is where we talk about whether we want to be with this typeface or not. Jason uh, first. Kiss. It's, but it's like one of those celebrity crushes. You might fantasize about it, but realistically, when are you ever going to get the chance to act on those feelings? Unfairly or not, I mean, I think Bodoni has limited usability and it does have a kind of highly strung look to it. I feel obliged to suck in my gut every time I see it. Yeah, I <laughs> David. I'm going to go with Kiss too. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful typeface, but it's just not versatile enough for me so it's yeah. just hard to use so i'd love to find a reason to use it but it's it's going to be sparingly right yeah oh, i i'd date it if i could 
and not in a secret <laughs> way either, like in a oh, show-off no, way. Yeah, absolutely. Like knowing all the times I'm totally out of its league or <laughs> it's totally out of my league, whichever way you should say that. Um, but also, you know, you can take Bodoni anywhere and it will comport itself well. You know, I never get sloppy drunk in a couture dress at the Melbourne Cup, which is a horse race that's <laughs> famous for <laughs> young white women in short fancy dresses getting full over drunk. So I just feel like I have to explain that reference. Yeah, like, no, no, it's true. They, are, they tend to fall over a trash can showing everyone their underwear. They end up on TV with a cigar <laughs> all over their face, telling everyone that they found someone's wallet. Like, you know, Bodoni just wouldn't do that. That is such a fantastic analogy, but I also feel like there's maybe a little bit too much of a nutra in there and not a lot about Bodoni. <laughs> it's about my feelings, okay? Yeah, I feel like I would want to, I would feel like I want to play with it and set it upside down and, and off to the side, you know, see, see where I can, how I can make it a little drunk. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> make, it, make it mess up its hair. Right, right, yeah. right up a little bit. Yeah. 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 All right. No, I feel like I kinda, we're going somewhere very dark yeah, now. Anyway, right. let's, let's bring this back down to earth. <laughs> Thank you. That was really fun. Thanks, David, for, for coming on our show. Um, and yeah. thanks, everyone, for listening. These are our feelings and opinions about typefaces. We're always interested in yours. You can email us on the address in the show notes. We'd love it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also rate us and make the pod easier to find. If you want to join us with a question or opinion, or if we got something wrong, which is likely and quite possible, a great way to do that is to record via our SpeakPipe page. The link is in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Jason. Where can you can find email you? me at design sleuth at yahoo.com and i'm at anitra not on all the things and you can also find me at anitraland.com where you can also find the page for this podcast and where can we find you david you can find me on instagram my handle is davy spee s-p-e-e and you often post pictures of your lovely puppy ava yes i do in fact i just posted a story of her today in a in a lion mane that she hated (laughs) She hated it. She's been so patient sitting next to you while you've been recording. Speaking of fashion, I mean, it's really appropriate for Bodoni. Yeah, it is. I should repost that and put a Bodoni. They have a Bodoni um, (laughs) style, actually, for type. There you go. There you go. There you go. It's all coming together. I'm going to repost it. Yeah. (laughs) And our producer, Inga, is at Thesis Whisperer on Twitter. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for coming along, David. Thanks, David. Yeah, it's, it's been, been great, great. Having you on board. Thanks for inviting me. We'll have to get you back on again. Please do. <laughs> Thanks. All right. See you all. Take care, everyone. Bye.